What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. My name is Colton Denning. I'm your host, a.k.a. Dubs Co., a.k.a. I Get Paid to Tweet. And I am joined by my co-host and friend, Patrick Mayhorn, a.k.a. Columbus Che Guevara, a.k.a. Slap Your Favorite Podcast Host, a.k.a. Man Bun John Stockton. And we're here to talk about Joe Burrow transferring out of Ohio State and heading to LSU. We missed the last couple of weeks. Both of us were doing some stuff. Patrick moved. I was busy with work stuff, but a lot of stuff going on. And Joe Burrow, no longer an Ohio State Buckeye. Patrick, how you doing, man? Uh, I'm good. I've been extremely tired for the last week, which is a fun kind of side effect of moving. Um, but uh, back in the saddle, ready to to get back on the um, the podcasting wave and and uh, get the people informed about uh, why Dwayne Haskins is extremely good. I totally realized that was one of my maybe my worst intros ever. So we're just starting this <laughs> podcast off on the exact foot that we left it off of. Make sure to go to SoundCloud.com/slash land grant holy land and also search hangout in the holy land on apple podcasts find the shows there leave a review tell us we suck whatever your feedback is leave it there but like i said new episode today and let's get right into it man on our last episode we broke down that that post spring game about the joe burrow Dwayne Haskins quarterback competition and how you and I didn't really feel like there really was one. We thought Urban Meyer was was kind of playing tricks on everybody, and I, I don't know if, if hindsight's twenty twenty, and we can say that now, but a couple weeks ago, Joe Burrow put out on Twitter that he was intending to leave Ohio State, and then just yesterday, he posted to Twitter that he was, quote, excited to be playing in Death Valley next season, ready to get to work. So he is headed to LSU. And before we get into what this means for Ohio State, what we think about Dwayne Haskins kind of winning this battle and where Ohio State goes from here, let's talk about Joe Burrow and unpack kind of what we think about his decision to go to LSU because you and I both fired up different schools that he would have been a fit to. And LSU certainly makes some sense. I'm interested to see how it plays out given LSU's History of producing quarterbacks <laughs> is very tenuous at best, but um, he, he's going to go in there, and I would be surprised if he doesn't win the starting job. But I think that there are definitely worse places to play, and if he wants to be showcased, that, that's a pretty good place to go do it. Yeah, I, I think that um, LSU is certainly a pretty interesting fit for him. They needed a quarterback. Um, they haven't had one in uh, really forever. They had Jamarcus Russell in 2007, and that was like their last good quarterback. Um, and Ed Orgeron is not particularly good at developing quarterbacks, so kind of having one handed to him is uh, certainly a good sign for them, and they don't have a, a lack of talent by any means to put around them. So I, I definitely like the fit for Joe. I think that he's um, he's a really good distributor of the ball. He's not I don't think he's as much of a playmaker as he is kind of a game manager. And at a school like LSU, that'll fit really, really well because they have a ton of receiver talent and running back talent. And really that offense with a competent quarterback is that's scary. That's, um, you know, that's the kind of thing that, that could change the tide in, uh, in the SEC and could kind of shift it towards LSU possibly being able to, to knock Alabama out of the uh, SEC West spot. I'll always be a Brandon Harris truther. He's still good. <laughs> I will maintain that Brandon Harris is good, and LSU messed him up. 
But no, I, I completely agree with you. And when you look at LSU's quarterback situation right now, they have sophomore Miles Brennan, who was you know highly touted when he came to LSU. Redshirt junior Justin McMillan, who played really well in the spring game. I don't know how much that that's worth. And then redshirt freshman Lowell Narcisse, who was another very highly touted guy. But when I watched LSU spring game, none of those guys really stood out to me, even in that sort of environment so I would think that Joe Burrow with how he plays the game and like you said as a distributor they don't need to count on him to win a lot of games like you said there's a lot of talent at that wide receiver position LSU always has talent at running back so if they can get competent quarterback play it would seem like that uh, Joe Burrow is definitely that guy to do it I just figured out I don't know how I didn't know this uh, at the start, but Joe Burrow, coach's son, which I'm sure we will hear endlessly during uh, during LSU games this season. Yeah, and uh, Joe Burrow being coach's son is why it was it was kind of rumored for a while that he might be headed back to Athens to play for OU because that's where his dad coaches. Um, but I think OU has a pretty good quarterback from what I remember. Um, you did mention watching LSU's spring game, and I think we need to have a bit of an intervention. Uh, did you watch that live? Or like on YouTube. No, afterwards. no, that was that was like a, a weekend thing. I had nothing but time. Yeah, I, trust oh, me, I'm no. not. Um, I'm not. I'm not proud of it. It's one of. It's one of those. I think I watched South Carolina's spring game. That's the only non-Ohio State spring game I've watched, and that was just because uh, Steve Spurrier was there. I saw it on Twitter. Uh, <laughs> I watched Mizzou's spring game. Oh no! I'll have to. I'll admit to that. I, I had it on in the background. I wasn't like taking notes or anything. But uh, final. Final thoughts on Burrow here. Cincinnati was also a, a team that was rumored, and he actually took a visit to, which would have made a lot of sense with the Luke Fickle connection, staying in Ohio, getting to play his last two seasons of college ball in Ohio, but ultimately goes to LSU. Uh, as it pertains to Ohio State, big shout-out to the staff for, from what I've read and I think what's been put out there, they didn't really have any restrictions on what he was going to do. It seems like Burrow didn't have any intention of – staying in the Big Ten or, you know, going to a Big Ten East rival that it was always going to be a school outside of the Big Ten. But for all we know, the staff didn't put any restrictions on it. So like to see that even if he did want to go to a Big Ten school would have been fine with that. So good. Uh, good job by the staff on uh, on not having any of those restrictions that we usually see and that we saw with Antoine Jackson from Auburn, who eventually made his way to Ohio State in this recruiting class but had to go the JUCO route. So that was good to see. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, we're, we're big players' rights advocates here. I, um, I've i become kind of, I guess, the de facto players' rights advocate uh, for our uh, fantastic website, which is kind of a weird <laughs> heel turn for me. But um, it, it is good to see that, you know, they, they didn't really restrict him. They let him go. And I don't know exactly what the grad transfer rules are. I think they can't be restricted in, in some form. But he did seem free to kind of go wherever he wanted, and uh, I'm yeah, glad that's that, true. Good yeah, point. I'm glad that Joe is uh, able to play his college football where he wants to at the you know the latter half of his career, and hopefully compete for the SEC championship and uh, maybe some kind of national award or something. Because I think he's a really good quarterback, and I think he'll have a good career at LSU. I don't know who LSU plays week one. I'm assuming they have a big game in the first couple of weeks. LSU usually has that non-con big game. Miami. Miami, yeah. If if they beat yeah. Miami and Joe Burrow looks good, I am not interested in reading those mentions <laughs> for our Twitter account. But I, I think that we're going to look at a situation where Dwayne Haskins and Joe Burrow 
both play well. And, and that's something we can get into. This is the most important part of this podcast and, and what we're really here to talk about is, is what this means for Ohio State. And the big thing, obviously, is that Dwayne Haskins is the starter. I, I saw that Urban Meyer said something along the lines the other day where it was like, well, Dwayne Haskins is going to get the shot now. Like, still leaving it open as to like, oh, yeah, maybe Tate's the guy. And it's like, mm. no, listen, if Burrow <laughs> didn't get the job, like, we know what's going on here, man. Now he's just outright lying instead of, you know, playing in the shadows. You wrote a, a long piece, a film study, which I encourage you all to check out. We'll have it linked in the piece with this podcast. What stands out to you? Because I know we, we've talked about Dwayne Haskins so much on this podcast and I don't want to feel like we're, we're beating, beating a dead horse here, but what, what stands out to you about what this means and how the offense looks going forward and, and how much different it's going to be? Well, a lot of things that I touch on in the, the piece are kind of um, natural talent things, which is, I think really important for a quarterback. Um, Dwayne's throwing motion is super natural. It's very fluid. Um, he has a quick release, really, really strong arm, and all of that is something that's not really learned. It's more of a, uh, you know, he has the right body to play quarterback. He's a really strong athlete. He's a really good athlete, um, and he he can make throws that not many college football quarterbacks or quarterbacks in general can make. Um, and I think that that's kind of the biggest difference between Dwayne and Joe and even Dwayne and, like, JT Barrett is that um, – I think Dwayne still has some learning to do when it comes to reading defenses and, and kind of beating defenses mentally as well as physically. But the the potential and the ceiling is there. And that was kind of the main focus of the article is that Dwayne Haskins is already really good and he doesn't even really know how to play quarterback yet. So with Ryan Day, who's, in my opinion, really, really good at coaching quarterbacks, uh, kind of working with him all summer and has been working with him obviously for much of his career here at Ohio State. Uh, I, I think that when Dwayne has the, the playbook and the reading the defenses part down, he's going to be really, really good because the natural ability is already there. As far as concepts go offensively in the piece, you, one of the big things you mentioned is, is mesh, and that was something we saw late in the Michigan game, especially with K.J. Hill. And, and it seems like maybe if he doesn't have it down pat, that he's already pretty smart with what he does in – one of the things that stood out to me just in that limited sample size, especially with what we saw in that Michigan game as a difference between him and JT Barrett, you know, where Dwayne Haskins is so advanced on some of those short throws that you don't really, they don't stand out as much as those downfield throws do is he was leading KJ Hill on those plays. That may be the difference of five or 10 yards. And that doesn't seem like a lot. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, I, that's a play and a concept that Ohio State is going to run so often. And some of those little nuances, I, I think that he is already so far ahead in of really where he should be just based off of how much live game action he's played. And, you know, knowing he's the starter and getting those reps in spring practice and fall ball coming up and ultimately leading up to the season I think are going to be huge and we've already seen him excel in some of those areas which you don't necessarily see a lot from young quarterbacks yeah the the mesh concept is definitely something that Dwayne is really really good at which is good news for Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day because that's their go-to passing concept um 
And that's, uh, I mean, that was the main passing concept that Ohio State ran last year, and JT Barrett was really good at it. He was really good at the underneath routes. And we see that with Dwayne as well. Um, he he gets the ball out really quickly. He He's able to identify open receivers really quickly, and sometimes he it can get him in trouble because he doesn't look off his first target if he's somewhat open. But underneath routes on the mesh, he has no issue with throwing in front of receivers and hitting them in stride. Um, and that really can open up the the offense because that makes the defense kind of play up. It forces corners to press, and linebackers can stay put to stop passes over the middle, which can open up the deep ball, which is Dwayne's specialty. Um, and I think that's a lot of what we'll see from Ohio State's offense this season is uh, kind of lulling teams to sleep a little bit with underneath passes to guys like K.J. Hill and Paris Campbell and hopefully Demario McCall. Um, and when you can kind of bring a defense in like that is when Dwayne's the most dangerous because then you can send the bigger deep threat receivers like Benjamin Victor or Austin Mack deep and uh, really gash defenses, which is something Ohio State hasn't been able to do in the past couple of years. And what really led them to that championship in 2014 was that um, that style of offense. Yeah, when you look at that piece you wrote, there's some accompanying video, which is really good. And the things that stand out to me are those downfield throws that it's not a knock on JT Barrett, but you have to have a certain type of arm talent to be able to make. And Haskins already has that. And I think when you look up and down this receiver core, it's obvious that guys like KJ Hill, Terry McLaurin, Benjamin Victor, they're going to benefit because they've played in the system. They know what's going on, but we've seen him have chemistry with a guy like CJ Saunders who in garbage time put up some really impressive, not like really impressive stats, but those two really had a connection. And I'm sure that that, you know, comes back to playing a lot with the second team offense and getting those reps together. But a guy like him, I think stands out in my mind that, whether it's on those mesh routes we saw there was you know he's running corner routes i think that a guy like cj saunders can can really benefit you know being being with haskins and that that's a portion of the offense that i think is going to open up and you're going to see a lot of different guys who necessarily didn't show certain things last year or the past couple of seasons with jt barrett be, and you're going to be like oh wow that that guy can do that and it's going to be because of how smart Dwayne Haskins is with some of the throws he can make. Yeah, it's almost like Terry McLaurin's not a natural deep threat receiver and would be used better underneath or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, Why does this no way. Keep dropping deep passes. <laughs> but yeah, definitely, I, th I think CJ is probably going to be featured more prominently in this offense. Um, a guy who I really think is in for a big season is Benjamin Victor, because um, him and Dwayne certainly seem to have a connection, and that's a. That's a guy who Dwayne went to quite a bit in the spring game. Uh, there's a there's a play that I'm looking at right now uh, against Illinois that I link to in this article, where Dwayne just throws a beautiful back shoulder pass to to Benjamin Victor, and I think that their their play styles really fit well together. And I think that that Victor could be in for a huge season because of the kind of system change that comes with a new quarterback. But I do think that we'll see receivers kind of playing a more natural, traditional you know, receiver position, whereas with the last few years of Ohio State football, there's been a lot of hybrid guys, a lot of H-backs, a lot of guys who really get 
kind of more carries and and uh, kind of behind the line of scrimmage passes than they do actual downfield passes. So I think we'll see kind of a return to uh, traditional X, Y, and slot receivers, which is certainly not a bad thing for Ohio State's passing offense. All right, devil's advocate here. I'm going to play the role of somebody that sees this and says, okay, that's great. The passing side of it, he brings a different element. But from what we've traditionally seen under Ohio State quarterbacks, under Urban Meyer, is that ability to run. And not to say that Haskins can't do that. We saw in the Michigan game, he made a couple of plays, but he's certainly not the type of runner that Braxton Miller or JT Barrett are. So what would you say, why should Ohio State fans worried about that, not worry about it? Well, um, the the main thing that I think is, is kind of keeping me from worrying about that is that, um, you know, Urban Meyer has hired offensive coordinators who know what they're doing, um, you know, with, with quarterbacks that don't necessarily run. Um, Dwayne Haskins isn't small by any means. He's six foot three, two 230 pounds, so it's not like he's going to be broken if he takes any hits. Um, he's, he's plenty athletic. I, I'm not really worried about his running. Um, and, you know, honestly, we, we saw it against Michigan. We saw it quite a bit in the spring game. Um, and the spring game obviously doesn't mean a ton when it comes to quarterback runs, but Ohio state has plays that aren't designed runs or options. And I I think that they will be more willing to call those with, with Dwayne. Um, I'm not sure if it was a trust thing with JT Barrett and trying to air it out a little bit more, just knowing his limitations, but uh, with Dwayne, there's really not a reason for them to be concerned about throwing the ball and for them to to lean heavily on the run. And it, it might be wishful thinking uh, that Ohio State under Urban Meyer won't go conservative if it rains and they're playing like Michigan State. Um, but with the running backs that they have, it, it's really, I mean, it seems pretty easy for them to just uh, hand it off to them if they want to run. I mean, you got J.K. Dobbins, you got Mike Weber. It, it seems like you could probably just give them the ball and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, like if this year going conservative is Urban Meyer being like, you know what, I'll, I'll just use Mike Weber and J.K. Dobbins. Like, cool, <laughs> yeah. that's great. Yeah. Def- definitely fine with that. That that seems like a good conservative strategy uh, to me. I, I think that'll work out just fine. And I think, too, talking about the mobility thing, you can look back at the history, even, you know, not even going back to his days at Florida, but just at Ohio State. Kenny Guyton could move. And there were times where they ran him, but he was more, I think, in my opinion, he was more of a drop back guy and Ohio state's offense hummed when he was in games and, and he was able to, I think if you go back and look at that Cal game that he played on the road here in Berkeley, he destroyed them with some downfield passes, particularly to, uh, to Devin Smith. And then obviously you go to Cardale Jones in the stretch of Wisconsin Alabama and Oregon and I think that's when Ohio State's offense has been that that's been the peak so far and and there's been a lot of really great offensive play and even the stuff that has been mediocre by Ohio State standards has still been pretty good but the height of it has been with a quarterback that can throw the ball downfield can move when you need him to but can really stretch defenses out and I I can't really understate what a quarterback of with the caliber of arm that Dwayne Haskins has means to the running game and and opening up the box because the winners here 
aren't just the passing game. It isn't just the receivers, the tight ends, and the running backs in the passing game. It's just the running game as a whole because it brings a whole other element that the defense has to account for. And I think that that's – if you're going to trade off having a defender have to worry about JT Barrett run every time, I'll take the trade off of having safeties five or six yards further back than they were last season. Yeah, and I, you know, you <clears throat> you mentioned Urban Meyer's history with kind of more traditional drop back passers, um, and a name that I see brought up a lot when that topic comes up, and you know, the the possibility of Urban not having a running quarterback is John Brantley, and you see a lot of people say that you know, well, he wasn't successful at Florida with with John Brantley, and um, just to <laughs> to kind of dispel that, if there are any Buckeye fans worried about. Uh, our boy Brantley. Um, Florida's offensive coordinator that season was Steve Adazio, and that man can't call an offense to save his life. <laughs> so I'm not I'm not too worried about it. And also, John Brantley stunk. <laughs> so yeah, let, let's get one thing clear: Dwayne Haskins is not John. Yeah, Brantley. and I think yeah. that's that's the main difference between Dwayne Haskins and John Brantley. They they're just they're not the same. Uh, you know, another big winner of this and, and a guy that we've talked a lot about and, and fans have been excited to see, we were all excited to see him play in the spring game that this means a lot for is Tate Martell. And he is for sure going to see the field now. We hope it's not in those big time games, you know, unless Ohio State's blowing TCU out by 30 in the fourth quarter. But you know, in some of those conference games against lesser teams, some of those non-conference games that they're going to be cruising, we will for sure see Tate Martell on the field. And I, for one, am super duper stoked to, to see it. Yeah, I'm excited to see Tate. I'm interested to see what the offense will look like with him because I don't think he can pass yet. Um, and that's not really a – I don't think that's really intended to be an attack on Tate or anything. I just don't think he's really – up to speed with college football quite yet and he's 19 years old it's not particularly surprising but he, he didn't seem to look like he was really ready in the spring game to to throw the ball down the field he was uh, usually a step behind kind of waiting on throws a little bit too long um so i i think it'll probably be braxton miller-esque when tate martell is in the game which was fun i mean i, I think yeah. yeah i think there's some revisionist history with braxton miller at times those offenses were crazy fun i mean he wasn't he wasn't able to throw the ball at all but like just the the options that they run that they ran and the the style of that offense was extremely enjoyable to watch and i think that it could be pretty similar with tate martell and if ohio state wants to use him in rush packages when it's you know, let's say they're not having much success passing the ball. It's a, a bad weather game or something, or the defense is showing them something that they like. Um, I think Tate Martell could be a really solid package quarterback for if they want to to run the option a little bit more, and I think that that's how we'll see him this year. It seems obvious, too, that even in, you know, mid-game situations, we'll probably see him for a couple of snaps, that that's something you would assume that, that they would like to show at least early on. In the season, you know, and Urban Meyer has traditionally, I think, gotten more conservative as the season has gone on offensively. And you get to those late November 
Big Ten games. But yeah, to your point about those Braxton Miller offenses, that 2013 team ran for over 4,300 yards <laughs> and 45 rushing touchdowns. So <laughs> like if, if Tate Martell needs to play or that that's a style of offense they have to, have to use because Dwayne Haskins gets hurt or they just want to see how that works with Tate Martell, they're going to be able to make it work because – you know, as effective as some of those running plays have been, some of the counters, that quarterback counter that they used to run with Braxton Miller, I have no doubt that Tate Martell could be able to run that play. And with J.K. Dobbins, with Mike Weber, I think that you could see something pretty devastating on the ground. So I I want to see him mixed in a little bit, not nine or ten snaps, but I think a snap here here or there would be a good look just to keep defenses honest yeah for sure and i think we talked about it a little bit after the spring game that if we would be comfortable with tate martell as the backup um i that i think that that's kind of what makes me feel comfortable with him is knowing that urban meyer does know how to handle dual threat quarterbacks and he's not uh, the best adjuster in the world when it comes to to making coaching decisions but I, i do think that uh if needed Tate Martell will be able to survive and you know keep Ohio State afloat at least if uh, anything is to happen to to Dwayne Haskins which I don't expect because he's really sturdy and um, doesn't seem to be easily broken Uh, the offensive line's really solid so um, but if needed uh, I'm sure Tate Martell will be fine I wouldn't be surprised if we saw him in red zone sets this upcoming season uh, Urban Meyer loves to do that. They did that in 2015 with uh, Cardale coming out in the red zone and JT going in. Uh, they really like to run the quarterback in the red zone, which is not always great, uh, but it, it can it can work sometimes, I guess, is the nicest thing I can say about it. Um, so I guess be ready for Tate Martell rolling out to the right on the five-yard line and throwing the ball 15 yards out of bounds. Uh, dude, speaking of the rollouts... Uh, they that play more so than any other is just was on my shit list for the last couple of seasons but when you watch Dwayne Haskins he's good at it <laughs> what yeah once again this isn't to knock JT Barrett those were just throws that he couldn't make yeah and, and that's fine because he shouldn't have been in a position to make those throws again and again and again and again and again Dwayne Haskins can make those throws he has that type of arm talent and placement and ability. So yeah, we're going to see the rollout, but like knowing how this goes, this is the year they'll just be like, no, we're not going to run that anymore. Yeah. We're going to roll them out to the other side so that you can't throw it. <laughs> That's like what you do in, in Madden. You're just like, all right, I have a right-handed quarterback, but we're running the bootleg to the left and I'm yeah. throwing it. He'll get it there. We'll figure it out. Yeah, I, I mean, there are there are definitely plays that I, I highlighted in this article that, um, you know, where Dwayne rolls out, and it's the same rollout play that they were running with JT. It's just Dwayne can throw it 30 yards on the run, and it's not really an issue for him, and that's something that JT didn't have the natural ability to do, um, and that's what the plays are designed for. When you, when you take away any downfield passes on the rollout, they really don't work because then the defense can just cover the underneath route. Um, and I guess that wasn't obvious to uh, professional offensive coordinators and head coaches. I don't really know how that wasn't super obvious that they couldn't run it. But um, if they want to run it with Dwayne this year, I'd probably be in favor of it because he's certainly capable. And I mean, 
in terms of design, it's not a bad play. The the one that they run where they have a a receiver on, they have usually two on a on a slant, one on a deeper post, and then uh, somebody running in the flats and a, a deep route on the far side just to drag a corner away. Um, but when they run it, it works pretty well if you have somebody who can pass it, and Dwayne Haskins can. So I wouldn't be surprised if we saw more of that this season, at least more of it being successful. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if they just take it out of the playbook entirely because that's what they did with Cardale in 2015 was they gave him the Braxton Miller playbook where he just ran every down because they're stupid. (laughs) On the Martell front, I'm just picturing there being like a secret triple option playbook just in case (laughs) Dwayne Haskins goes down. They're just like, all right, bro, you're Keenan Reynolds now. Go for it. Ohio State offensive coordinator Paul Johnson. (laughs) Hey, I'm here for that. I love the triple option. I am very much here for that. If if we have a, a set where it's just Tate Martell, Master Teague, J.K. Dobbins, and Mike Weber, like yeah. you know, obviously I'd I'd rather have Dwayne Haskins back there, but you know you could have worse situations. Yeah, we've been um we've been joking in the the Land Grant Holy Land Slack room this past week about uh, Ohio State's next head coach um, from great candidates uh, such as uh, Daryl Hazel. Um, I think that there was a Danny Hope in there at some point. I'm not even sure if he's still alive. Um, uh, I, I think that there was a Bobby Petrino, uh, some really great options. But I would be in favor of like a Ken Niamatololo, bring the triple option to Columbus. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, I think with you could squeeze a couple of years out of just like – the five-star talent still being here, but being really angry about it. But they could probably win the Big Ten a couple years before it's like, all right, now we now we're nine and three. Some of the fan base, <laughs> some of the fan base wants, and eighty-five percent of the class comes from Ohio, and they're all three stars from Mentor. Let's go. Yep. <laughs> well, I mean, that just imagining a team full of five stars running the triple option would be hilarious. So I'd be down for it. <laughs> Danny Hope, only 59 years oh, hey. old, surprisingly. You could tell me that Danny Hope is any age, and I would believe you. <laughs> that mustache is 59, too. You know he came out of the womb with that. That thing is strong. <laughs> that thing is real, real strong. I'm looking at him on Google Image right now. He's uh, He was USF's co-offensive coordinator, which, I, I don't know, I guess that was a thing until Charlie Strong came over there, but under Willie Taggart. That yeah. mustache is great. Yeah. <laughs> We do we have anything else here because I think Burrow and Haskins were really you know the two things that we wanted to talk about. There hasn't been much on the recruiting front. Basketball's been you know pretty much nothing. Like we said at the end of last episode, we are in the portion of the off season where no suspensions, no police blotter. That's the biggest thing that I think can be taken away from the past like month and every day that goes by where there's no substantive news on either of those fronts is good for Ohio state. Yeah. The, the only real basketball news I can think of is um, I, I think that, I don't know if we've covered this, but it's right in our wheelhouse. Uh, Andrew Dockich was hired as a grad transfer or not a grad transfer, a graduate assistant for the basketball program, which is great. Um <laughs> Uh, Man, he's fully turned on Michigan. Yeah, he is 100% Buckeye now. He he has no interest in in Michigan. He is um, he's Ohio State's head coach now. <laughs> 
That that's savage, man. That's like the boring, yeah. the boring level brothers like savagery of just like, yeah, I'm dipping out of Michigan. I'm going to Ohio State. Also, Buckeye for life now. F- you guys, yeah. like <laughs> that's some serious stuff. I can't think of any Ohio State player who has pulled that um, pulled that off. There there were two other things that just popped into my mind. One on speaking of Michigan, Shea Patterson granted basically full eligibility, which like yell at us in the mentions. We're pro player, like you said, good for him. He deserves to play football, especially after that situation at Ole Miss. I think I am – I've seen people be really optimistic about it. I've seen people have more pessimism, and it's easy to say because we're Ohio State fans that we would be pessimistic about it. I think that people have looked at this through really rose-colored glasses about what type of quarterback he was because of what uh, level of recruit that he was, and he's certainly very talented – but when you really dig into the numbers, there's not a ton, I think, that makes me say this is something that can put Michigan over the top. And maybe you disagree with me on that, but Jim Harbaugh's pedigree of developing quarterbacks, you can say, yeah, he, he, you know, he did some positive things with Jake Rudock, but when the big thing still is Andrew Luck, like we're getting to the point where that was almost a decade ago, and he'll always have that on his resume, but... You know, I think that if Shea Patterson isn't a guy who plays at even a second team all Big Ten level, that we can start to look back on that and be like, eh, maybe Andrew Luck was just a one time thing. That's maybe a hot take, but I think that Shea Patterson could be hit or miss. I don't think he's going to be terrible, but I also think there's a pretty good shot that he's not the savior that people there want him to be. Yeah, I think. Um, I think Shea Patterson is slightly better than Wilton Spate. Um, he wasn't going to win the job over uh, the guy who Ole Miss has there now, Jordan Ta'amu. I think that Shea certainly is kind of a a result of recruiting rankings more than anything. He had some really solid throws, um, specifically as a freshman. Um, and I, I remember him being pretty fun to watch um, the first year there. He wasn't as, yeah, he wasn't as good this past year because he was mostly injured. But in Michigan's offense, I'm not really sure what that means because they don't pass the ball particularly uh, well. Their their plays aren't very good for passing. They, they prefer to run, and I don't know how he'll work in that system. I think he's more of a shotgun quarterback and more of a spread quarterback than he is a pro-style quarterback. And uh, if that'll work for for Michigan, then I, I guess they can they can go for it, and he'll probably be fine there. But in terms of drop back, uh, making quick West Coast style reads and throws, I'm not sure how good he is at that. Um, I think in general, quarterback play is not going to be a huge issue for Michigan. Um, Buckeye fans don't like to hear it, but Michigan's going to be really good this year. Um, and I don't think he'll hurt them, which is better than they can say about last year's quarterback play. So um, I, I don't think Shea Patterson is like the savior or anything like that, as you said, but I think he'll be fine, um, and he's certainly better than any of the quarterbacks that Michigan had on their roster, um, except for I, I've heard good things about Joe Milton, freshman quarterback that they've got, who's uh, he's really fun, is pretty much the only thing I know about him. Um, so whoever Michigan goes with a quarterback, which it will be Shea Patterson, but if they get Milton in there at all, I think they'll be fine. Um, the offense is never going to be their strong suit. And, um, I, I don't think Ohio state fans really need to worry too much about Shea Patterson. It's more their, their defense that Ohio state fans should be 
watching because that defense is mean. Yeah, they're good, and I'm looking at their numbers last year. They were 86th in S&P Plus offensively last year. Wow. God. That, that is really bad. They, <laughs> they will be better, and I think that Patterson can provide a little bit of a different element. And like you said, that that's the big thing is how does he fit into what they want to do because – I don't trust that they're just going to come out with something brand new. But knowing Jim Harbaugh, they could be coming out in like 5-1 <laughs> in that first game next season. Like you just never – honestly, you never really know what he's going to do. So, you know, maybe that's something he has up his sleeve. But like you said, the defense more of a strong suit. And certainly it's a, it's a put-up or shut-up year for them. And I think I'm less bullish on them being – good they they certainly won't go eight and five again they they shouldn't go eight and five again but it, it's a put up or shut up year for them and i think legitimately not that he's on the hot seat but there's there's definitely some worry in ann arbor right now and we've seen a few of our michigan fan friends uh go off the deep end already yeah so we, excited to see how michigan does yeah we have some some friends talking about uh why michigan is taking three stars you know the kind of guys that um some ohio state fans want ohio state to be taking just kind of a fun uh, juxtaposition there but uh i <laughs> in, in traditional this podcast style i will say something that will inevitably happen here uh speak it into existence despite it being absolutely awful and just the worst imaginable thing um mike leach is going to be looking for a new job after this season uh, Michigan's probably going to be looking for a new offensive coordinator. Michigan OC Mike Leach. <laughs> that would make everyone involved mad. Every single. You know what? <laughs> I have I have takes about Mike Leach because I love Mike Leach, but as somebody that watches way more Pac-12 than I should, and I know you do as well, I think there's this like mythology about Mike Leach in Washington State always gets off to these hot starts. But, man, nobody is more willing to die with their ship than Mike Leach in modern offensive football, which, hey, I absolutely respect. That dude will die playing his style of football. Like, no matter what, he's not making adjustments. They're running the plays that they're running, and if it doesn't work, it's like, well, I guess we're just all going to die together. And in Mike Leach's case, probably bury his quarterback and the offensive player. Yeah, that's what being a Michigan man is all about, burying your players. (laughs) I'd be excited for that, though. Yeah. Michigan, uh, they, they need – it feels like they're due for another Rich Rod-esque – Just stupid. Um, Something stupid hire. to happen. But, but hey, we are just coming off the Pep Hamilton era, so it's not like that would be you know too bad compared to that. The only other thing that I can think of as we wrap up the worst podcast in Ever. the world yeah. is scheduling. The other day, Ohio State and Texas pushed back their game to what 2025 and 2026 something like that yeah texas and alabama are gonna play i don't have too many hot takes about that um i think it's gonna be that's gonna be a home and home right Uh, i think so that sounds right yeah because it's back-to-back years that's all i care about alabama you can't really talk any shit about them but at some point it's like you guys have won the national titles play a home and home yeah like and it doesn't just go for them that goes for a lot of sec teams too and I think it kind of sucks that Ohio State and TCU aren't doing a home-and-home, but we're going to see in the coming years Ohio State have these home-and-homes with bigger-level teams. And I wish that more college teams 
would do that. And like I said, especially for Alabama, they, they got nothing to prove at this point. Just go on the road and, and, and play team at a conference. So good for them finally doing that. Yeah, for sure. And um, speaking of Alabama playing home and homes, uh, I, I remember seeing this recently that they're going to be playing Notre Dame in 28, 2028 and 2029, which is just absurd <laughs> that they're scheduling games that far out. But that'll be fun when it absolutely does not happen because it's 10 years from now. Um, and I, I think that the, the thing to remember when these things get announced and everybody gets all excited is that uh, Ohio State's quarterback when they played Texas in, what was it, 2026? Is that what you said? Yeah. Ohio State's quarterback when they play Texas in 2026 is anywhere from 10 to 12 years old right now. So it doesn't matter at all. (laughs) It will matter significantly more when it's 2025 and they're about to play Texas. But right now people saying like, well, Urban Meyer versus Tom Herman, that's going to be awesome. Both neither one of them will be the head coach. (laughs) Right, yeah. I'm really excited for your tweets 10 years from now about why Craig Krenzel Jr. should be starting over LeBron James Jr. at quarterback. Oh, God. (laughs) I should just start sending those off now and really confuse my... Uh, my followers. <laughs> yeah, that's it, dude. Right now, there the kids that are going to be playing in that game are eating Tide Pods. <laughs> they know nothing of, I don't know, really anything. That's a really scary thing to think about. I, who knows if football will even exist at that point? You're going to be playing on a memory foam mattress for a field, which probably would be a good idea. I wouldn't be too upset about but we got anything else man we're really milking this one for all it's worth if you're still around right now we 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 appreciate that one you guys have have rode this out after a month and a half of us not podcasting yeah my only thing that i have to add is that you mentioned craig krenzel having a son and it has led me to the funniest headline i've ever seen (laughs) man accuses craig krenzel of assaulting his son this was at a football game a peewee football game Some Michigan, some Michigan man, just don't ever talk to me or my son ever again, Craig. This Krenzel. man, he, and Craig's just like, you know what, man, you're you're gonna get the smack, you're gonna get the hand of God. Yeah, this man alleges that Craig Krenzel, who is an assistant coach on a Pee Wee team, which does not exist, you're not an assistant coach, you're just a guy who's there. Um, he ran over to separate the two players who had been, I guess, engaged in a fight. Krenzel grabbed this guy's son by the shoulder pads and yelled at him. Uh, so Craig Krenzel is ready to fight a child, and that's the kind of thing I want from the father of Ohio State's future quarterback, his willingness to fight a 10-year-old. Listen, man, we root for a team that had Woody Hayes as its head coach yep. for a long time, so <laughs> we, I feel like we're just we're we know just a continuing, thing or two about fighting 10-year-olds. <laughs> continuing the legacy, so let, let's get out of here on that note before we get into any trouble here. <laughs> but if you guys want to find the podcast – and I don't know why you would at this point, go to soundcloud.com slash land grant, Holy land. You can also find us on Apple podcasts at hangout in the Holy land. Send us a tweet at Holy land pod. You can send me a tweet on Twitter at dubs co follow the site account at land grant 33 Patrick. Where can they find you? Uh, They can find me at Patrick underscore Mayhorn. Make sure to follow Patrick. Follow me, follow the show, follow the site, find all of our Ohio State coverage at LandGrantHolyLand.com. We are about 100 days away from the season, so expect more and more coverage of Ohio State football coming your way. But until next time, for Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning, and this has been the Hangout in the Holy Land.